Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Rachel Lippman. Violence and trauma continue to impact the lives of many children and families in our region. Earlier this month, over the course of just five days, four local children died as a result of guns. Joining me in studio to discuss the ongoing problem and ideas for ways to move forward are three guests. Erica Jones is a St. Louisan who lost both an adult daughter and a seven-year-old godson to guns in recent years. Dr. Brad Warner is the Jesse L. Turnberg Distinguished Professor of Pediatric Surgery at Washington University School of Medicine and the Surgeon-in-Chief at St. Louis Children's Hospital. And Dr. Nicole Wilson is a Pediatric Surgery Fellow at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Erica, Brad, and Nicole, I want to welcome you to the program. And Erica, I want to start with you. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about those family members who were victims of violence? How do you remember them? Um, My daughter Whitney was 24 at the time that she was... Um, gunned down. She was actually standing with a friend who also lost his life as well, Devin Fletcher. Um, They were uh, both parents, new parents, actually. Um, Jakeem was five years old. And um, as far as I know, Devin Fletcher's daughter was two weeks old, Um, standing outside having a conversation on the sidewalk and someone came by and started shooting. my daughter instantly lost her life uh, in front of her sister and five-year-old son. Um, my godson, Jermon, um, was playing upstairs, and the little brother, who is younger than he is, uh, found the gun in the father's room, in their bedroom, and came back in the room and was playing with it, and the firearm discharged, striking Jermon in the side of the head. Um, he thought he was playing because he was telling his brother to wake up. You know, wake up, mama, get up, get up, get up. And he didn't. Tell me a little bit about Whitney and Jermon as people. What are the memories that you have of them that you hold on to? Um, Whitney, her biggest thing was her son. Um, she also loved people, loved being around other people. Whitney was actually going to school to be a nurse. So that was a blessing in itself. You know, a lot of people don't have, young people per se, don't have their, you know, what they want to do in line. But she was one, she was working two jobs, just got her first apartment, um, raising Jakeem on her own as a single mom. Um, Jamon was pretty much like the ladies' man. He'd mm-hmm. give a compliment <laughs> to everyone. It was always, hi, how you doing? Very respectful. Um He just was a lovable, joyful, you know, child. And Whitney was just just ambitious, ready to learn, um, ready just, you know, to help. She would help anyone. My house was basically like the homeless shelter for everybody, (laughs) for everyone to come to. So it was just it was just a blessing, you know, to be able to have her for the years that I was able to have her. And not that much older than a child either. I mean, 24 is not significantly older than than 18 in many ways. Not at all. How was the impact of Jermon's death different than the impact of Tiffany's death on you? The difference between a godson and a child is way different. Um, You bore this child. You carried her. You nurtured her. You watched her grow. You fed her. You saw her take her first steps to graduating high school, to becoming a first-time mother, and... 
there's no really generalized word to where you can just say, this is how I feel. You're lost. You feel disheveled. Um, you just, it's just an emptiness versus my Godson is just like a kid you used to seeing. And even though the other, you know, nephews come over and you see them, you have a habit of always saying, well, where's my mind at? Or tell him to come here or calling his name accidentally. And that's still a hurt feeling as well. It's not the same as close. And I try to get people to really understand it's a difference between losing a child versus a mother, a father, you know, a niece. or a ne It's not the same. And people be the first thing to say is, you know, I lost my mother. It's, it's not the same. It's not. Dr. Warner, Dr. Wilson, I wanted to turn to you guys a little bit about and try and get a, a, a scope on the problem of, of child victims of violence. Um, what do the statistics say about who these victims are? Are they getting caught in crossfire? Are they accidental victims as German was? Are they the targets themselves? Is, is What do the statistics say? I think in our experience, it's a mix of pretty much everything. Um, we see kids that pick up a gun that's been laying down somewhere and, and it discharges. We've had a child shot when the dad was cleaning a gun in the other room. The, the gun discharged, hit her while she was studying. Uh, we've had drive-by shootings, you know, randomly into houses. People standing on the street just as your daughter, just minding their own business and someone drives by. There are gangs. And sometimes in some gangs, in order to get into the gang, you have to have been shot. So they will literally shoot each other to get into a gang and shoot themselves in a location that is not supposed to be life-threatening, but it certainly can be. So uh, we see it all. And then, of course, the, uh, not just the victims of violence uh, per se, but people that are involved in doing things that they shouldn't be doing as well. Do we, sorry, go ahead. So we, we actually did a, a study in 2015 that looked at about 500 kids from both St. Louis Children's and Cardinal Glennon and um, showed that the breakdown is kind of, I think of it as a, a third of the kids are kids being kids. That is kind of like your story where um, they find a gun or they're playing with a gun and they're doing kid-like things with something that just happens to not be a safe thing to play with. Um, a third are, roughly a third are violence-related, and then a third are kind of hard to tell, and that's kind of where the, the statistics break down, at least for St. Louis and uh, St. Louis Children's Hospital and Cardinal Glennon. And when you say hard to tell, it's something where it might be a suicide that looks like a different kind of act of violence? Or, or we just don't have a good story when they come in. You know, we often we often get the, the, gunshot, the child that comes in with a gunshot wound and all we have is the EMS report and we don't know where they're standing on the sidewalk doing, you know, we just don't know the backstory. So it's hard to, hard to know what the what the real story is behind it. How are the numbers for your hospital, St. Louis Children's Hospital, this year in terms of the the number of uh, uh, child, child victims of violence that you are seeing this year? How does it compare to previous years, too? So our peak year, I think we had about 94 gunshot wounds in a year at our St. Louis Children's Hospital alone. Uh, we average about 70 or so, and we've got one of the highest penetrating trauma rates in the country at our children's hospital. Um, that's not a statistic that we're very proud of. 
We're on track to have about 90 this year as of right now. So coming up to that peak, um, do you know how St. Louis compares to other cities of its type and size when it comes to, I know you mentioned that it's the, we have among the highest levels of penetrating trauma. How, How much higher? I would think it's about twofold. Uh, I think our average penetrating trauma rate's about 6%. I think most children's hospitals is probably 2 to 3%. Do you guys have a sense of why, of, of what it is about St. Louis that c- contributes to those higher numbers? I really have no idea. I, I really wish that I knew. Eric, I mean, Erica, you look like you want to jump in. Do you, do you have a, a theory just from, from having lived here as to why this is? When you're looking at a lot of uh, the gun violence, period, Um, you're looking at a lot of um, impoverished areas. You're also looking at single parents um, as far as raising their children, single parent homes. You're also looking at as far as um, the school dropout rates and different things of that nature. You're also looking at the fact of the father not being in the home. Um, so it's different things. As the doctor mentioned, he was speaking of, um, as far as the gangs and different things like that. Um, I also work with juveniles from 12 to 17 and a half years old. So I see these young men and young women. Uh, I have been doing this over 11 years. So majority of the children that I get a lot of their actions are displayed uh, either by no acceptance, wanting to be accepted. Um, a lot of other issues is the substance abuse and others is the mental mental health. All three of these things are dynamics that all fall up under one. Mm-hmm. And that's in regards to um, the gun violence that you majority of the time you see out here. And it's going so rampant people want to have their eyes closed and say, okay, this is this, this is that, this is that. No, you have to look at everything as a whole, the family Mm -hmm. life, the structure, the substance abuse, the mental health, all that plays intricate in that one thing. And that's with the gun violence. Erica, real quickly, before we take a break, what are the youth that you're working with telling you about guns and, and how they see and use guns? Well, Majority of the kids that I come back, uh, come across and I deal with, majority of them say that um, it's in regards to them to protect themselves. But my thing is protect yourself from what? Others say, well, because of an abusive situation in regards to a father, a mother, a boyfriend, you know, abusive uh, stepmother or the neighborhood where they belong. Those are also intricate things that play a part, too. Some just want to fit in and say, "Okay, this is who I am and this is what I need to do to make myself stand out amongst others. And, you know, that's just by, okay, I have a gun on me or I'm, as the street terminology kids say, you will never catch me lacking. That means without a gun on me. So unless you know the type of children that you have or you're dealing with, gun violence is going to consistently be an issue. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this important conversation. I'd like to invite listeners into our discussion. If you have a question or comment about gun violence against youth in St. Louis, you can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. 
This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. We'll return now to our conversation with doctors Brad Brad Warner and Nicole Wilson of St. Louis Children's Hospital and Erica Jones, a local resident who has directly been impacted by gun violence. Nicole and Brad, I wanted to turn to you guys uh, just to reflect a little bit on what Erica was saying earlier before we took our break about the reasons she's heard from the juveniles she works with as to why they are using guns. Does that ring true based on the research and your experiences with with these kids in in the uh, in the hospital? I think she struck a real chord with me. First of all, I'm so sorry for what you've had to go through. It's I can't even imagine. But I think that it's really all of the things that she mentioned, I think, are really important contributors. The lack of uh, father figure in the house, um, the sort of gangs, the, you know, bringing up in an abusive environment, uh, all of these things. I think there's racial inequalities that I think contribute as well. There, it's multifactorial. I don't think you can put your finger on one particular. Yeah, the only other thing I'd like to add is that, you know, just to kind of stress that not all of the gun injuries that we see in children are violence related. And a big, big chunk of them are um, accidental injuries. And I think that that's a, a, a relatively low hanging fruit when you start looking at things you can do to make this better. Mm-hmm. Um. We've seen a lot, uh, at least two in the last few weeks, much younger victims of violence. There was a three-year-old and 11-year-old shot and killed. There were also older children, 16, 17, and 18. And I'm, how unusual is it to have those younger victims, the ones under, say, like 16, 17, 18? I don't think it's really particularly unusual. Um, Children are around adults, and adults are the ones that are usually the target. Kids are generally in the way. And uh, I think it's unfortunate that people have such a uh, low lack of consideration for children that they just shoot randomly into an, an audience or a crowd hoping to hit the intended target. And whoever else dies as a result of that, I don't think that they really care. Without getting too graphic, as I know pediatric and trauma surgery can be, what are some of the physical impacts of even a non-fatal gunshot injury on a child? It's unbelievable. Um, There's a child who I can just think of now that was just at a convenience store and was shot a random bullet, uh, struck in the back, and this otherwise healthy, beautiful 14-year-old boy is paralyzed from the waist down. And uh, that's obviously a game changer for his entire life. Um, Not only that, but you can tell he's very psychologically affected. Um, He's a different kid, I'm sure, than what he ever was or ever will be. Um, So these are lifelong things, both psychologically as well as physically. And some of the things that they come away with are, are just terrible. How's the ongoing medical care of a child who's impacted by gun violence, be it accidental or as an unintended victim, maybe different than the care that you would provide to an adult? Obviously, the procedure's the same. You're looking for the hole. You're looking to stop it. What's different about doing that with a child? So one of the great things about um, our hospital in particular is that uh, bringing we 
bring the children into the hospital and we really get them hooked into our social services as much as possible and spend an enormous amount of effort trying to to do our best within a hospital setting to get them the social support that they need. We have them follow up in, in a trauma clinic that is um, also have psychologists and other things that the patients can see and then patients' families can get involved as well. And um, so we try and take care of kind of the entire patient in that way. And I think that that's a, a unique aspect to the children's hospital that doesn't happen quite as quite as often in an adult trauma center. And I think we also care about where the child goes back to. Yes. So frequently children are in the hospital longer than they need to be from a physical standpoint but they don't have a home to go to or they don't have a safe environment and we will hold on to them until they get that. Greg in St. Louis, I think, has a comment that ties in nicely to the discussion about trying to provide that support after a child's been injured. Greg, you're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I was just uh, making a comment uh, because I have been a victim of uh, childhood gun violence. Uh, by the time I, well, I was 13, I was just outside standing talking to a female friend of mine. A group of guys walked up and I was shot. Actually, I'm 45 years old now, and I'm still walking around with that bullet. But the comment, what I had to say was that I didn't have any crisis support. I uh, went to the hospital, actually went to Children's Hospital, and I uh, was in the hospital for a couple of days, got out, uh, went back to school. There was no counseling support. Uh, there wasn't really any support at home. So I grew up thinking that that was just the norm. I think now that it's now starting to affect me because I didn't have that crisis support. And I think now what was needs to happen, especially in the city of St. Louis, is that they don't, they're not having a lot of counseling support for when if, if not violence happening to them, but the violence that's happening in the, in the kids' neighborhoods and the trauma that they go through. Because by the time I was 16, it was two of my childhood friends was killed, and I have seen multiple people killed, and I, I was never dealt with that, that uh that trauma or that crisis. Uh, Greg, tell me a little bit about kind of over the 32 years, how you think that impacted being shot at 13. You said you're just now seeing some of those impacts. How are you realizing it? What is it? What is that looking like? Um, well, at first, because of the, the environment that I grew up in, it was kind of like the norm. And as I started to get older and started having kids or, you know, and becoming realizing that, you know, that that wasn't the norm, that, is, you know, I'm kind of like, you know, pretty much like shell shock. You know, it's like dealing with certain type of depressions. Uh, you know, now that I'm realizing that it's, it's, it's a form of post, uh, post-dramatic stress. Greg, I thank you for, for reaching out and sharing your story, and, and good luck in, in hopefully kind of getting some of these issues addressed. Erica, I saw you nodding your head quite a bit through this. How are you seeing this play out for you and for Jakeem? Um, I agree with everything that he said, because um, when Whitney was shot that night, it was eight other victims who were shot. Whitney was the la- her and Devin were the last two who were shot that night, as far as that night of that day. Um, when we went there, we were so lost. We had to stand outside. We were uh, we were oblivious. Um. As far as help, it was like, hey, let me tell you, sit you in this room, tell you what happened, 
how long we worked on her, uh, which I do commend them because they worked on her longer than they were supposed to um, in any shot victim that comes in. Um, they did everything they can. My daughter lost her life, not from the bullet that hit her in the shoulder, but the bullet that actually hit her in her leg. Um, she um, sustained through that. When we say that as far as counseling, there is none. Um, I started my own support group for myself, uh, pulling in other mothers and it just, it just sprouted. It just completely like went from there. And I started seeing other mother groups that popped up and who were actually before I was and didn't even know. So there is definitely a need, um, for counseling, uh, for extended counseling after a child, like the doctor said, after a child is sent home, making sure that they're in a safe environment, nothing is um, going to put them back into that same situation. But how can you when services are limited? Dr. Wilson, I know that St. Louis Children's Hospital has the Victims of Violence program, which was intended to help children who have been victims of violence avoid being re-victimized. How does that play into what Erica was saying, kind of addressing some of the the uh, psychological needs that the children and the families may have? Well, I think... I think Erica makes a great point in terms of the resources that we have are a drop in the bucket compared to what is probably needed out there. Um, but we do have the Life Without Violence program that allows patients and families to opt in. And it's meant to kind of follow patients long longitudinally over the course of a year. Uh, initially, when the program was started at St. Louis Children's Hospital, we did show that we had a initially a 10% rate of kids that would bounce back after violence with another um, another injury within about a year, and that went to zero in the, in the people who had been included in the program. And the program's been expanded to all four of the trauma centers in St. Louis, so that's Barnes and uh, SLU and then Cardinal Glennon and St. Louis Children's Hospital. But I would say that it's absolutely just a drop in the bucket. I mean, in order to do this, well and really implement it. We just need more resources. True. I think it's also important to state too that age children sometimes will older kids will go to an adult hospital, and some of them will be brought to Children's Hospital. Yes. We'll see kids up to 18 years of age. So, depending on what they look like, they end up either in an adult or a Children's Hospital. We know the recidivism rate in if they come to an, a children's hospital is lower than when they go to an adult hospital. And I think it's because of programs like this that really impact. Nicole and Brad, I'm wondering what the impact is on you and the teams that you work with in caring for these children in seeing this kind of violence. We can kind of, I guess kind of understand on what the impact is for those who are directly victimized. I'm wondering about the sort of uh, secondary vicarious victimization that you, you guys have as, as doctors treating these patients. It's really tough. It really is. Um, we go into medicine to make people better and to see people come in pretty much already dead or have their life completely altered by something that makes no sense. Um, it really leaves a psychological impact. And you get numb to it, and I think that's really bad when you start to dehumanize some of the things that you you went into medicine for is to help people. Um, it's, it's really crushing sometimes. It's the few times that I remember having tears after dealing with uh, some of these issues. It just touches you so bad. 
Nicole, I know that this is a field you chose. You're finishing up your training now. It, do you ever want to just say, nope, I'm going to go do plastic surgery? <laughs> it depends on the day. Um, <laughs> I, I absolutely love what I do, and um, I in, enjoy um, being able to treat pa- trauma patients and hopefully make them better. I, I do enjoy that. But uh, like Dr. Warner said, it's it, it can be incredibly crushing to come in and just, you know, do absolutely everything you can for someone and not be able to save them or have them have what is a life-altering outcome that particularly in I, what I find frustrating is that kind of limited resource piece where I'm, I'm able to help them in the hospital and I'm able to do certain things for them, but my ability to go beyond that is, is limited. And um, you know they need more when they leave the hospital and you're not in a position to provide that for and them. And that's really illustrated. Uh, we had a kid last year, I think, that came in for his fourth gunshot. Wow. Fourth gunshot. Separate incidents. Four separate gunshots. And I think that's what we need. That's what we need the most. And I think um, when it comes to the hospital's input, that we need more doctors like you to say, okay, you know, I want to push, you know, for something further with working with the families. And that's what myself, along with other mothers, are looking for that extra from hospitals to say that, hey, you know, we know this program, this program, this program that's not introduced. Um, There is a program that's um, Dr. Lori Punch started called Stop the Bleed. I love her to death. I met her for the first time and I try to get as many people involved to understand a what if, Mm -hmm. you know, situation occurs. And also other um, uh, support groups that are out there that, you know, families need. And one of them is Healing Hearts. Um, that is available. Uh, another one is my program, which is uh, Voice of the Voiceless. Another program is uh, Hugs with Tam Coleman. And it's their programs here. You have Miss Regina Reed, Fun Without Guns. So these uh, organizations, we are here to help the community even after, you know, they leave the hospital because we need that. We don't have that. There's these are our organizations we started, mm-hmm. you know, not somebody saying, hey, do you need help? But something that we as the parents ourselves have been through. In the few minutes that we have left, I want to hear from each of you just real quick what comes to mind when I say, what is the solution to this? It is obviously a very complicated problem, but <clears throat> where do we start? There's a lot of places to start. I think gun legislation mm-hmm. is one. Um, I think having mandatory background checks, uh, not allowing people that have had, you know, prior records, uh, not having people that have mental illness have access to guns, I think is one step. Mm -hmm. I think having mandatory lock uh, guns, uh, types of programs like that. I think education, like what you're doing here, is really important. This is a crisis, and I think having people recognize what the impact is of pulling a trigger and in a crowd. It's just crazy. Dr. Werner, very quickly, what's your thoughts when I say where do we start? Well, I alluded to Excuse it before. Excuse me, Dr. Wilson, sorry. Oh, that's fine. I alluded to it before, but I think that one of the kind of low-hanging fruit is the issue of just gun safety. Even before you get into um, 
politically charged issues as far as legislation and things like that. Just educating people on gun safety and how to store guns safely locked in cabinets around children. You know, if you can knock down that third of gunshot injuries that we see to kids that are accidental, that would make a huge impact, just that alone, and um, is a good place to start. I want to thank all three of our guests for taking the time today and sharing their stories. Erica Jones, a St. Louisan who has lost loved ones to guns and is passionate as we heard about raising awareness. Dr. Brad Warner, the Jesse L. Turnberg Distinguished Professor of Pediatric Surgery at Washington University School of Medicine. He's also the Surgeons-in-Chief at St. Louis Children's Hospital. And Dr. Nicole Wilson is a Pediatric Surgery Fellow at St. Louis Children's Hospital. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you.